Hello, I'm Britannia, consciousness coach, trainer, and explorer of what it means to be human. Welcome to Inspiring Global Transformation. I will be interviewing pioneers, thought leaders, and leaders of companies from all over the world. People who walk to a different beat, have chosen a different path, and in doing so are leading the way for global transformation. My hope is that these ideas will inspire, encourage, and support you to get involved or to start something of your very own. This is the second part of my interview with Joe St. Clair. Joe has written numerous books and is currently the Managing Director of the World Sustainability Development Forum in the UK. We talk about the golden rule, synchronicity as a way of life, how to step out of the ego into ego-free living, conscious leadership, unity consciousness in the workplace, soul evolution and what leaders need to be doing to get fit for leading in a more conscious and sustainable way. Okay, the golden rule is probably the hardest lesson we had to learn and most people don't learn they they avoid listening to the golden rule and the golden rule is very very simple it's trust when you make a conscious decision that you are going to follow your mission you are going to follow your soul path and your soul contract then you have to also trust the universe um, in other words when i say universe i mean trust your spirit guides and your teachers and, and trust the universe and the spirit world what i would say is as you progress on your own spiritual path you will probably find a point where you just it's very very hard to do you take your rational mind out of the equation and you just say, I trust the universe will take me where I need to go. It's really hard to do that because you, you, you really have to override every last vestige of ego. I know, and for me, I'm, I'm just thinking about what you're saying. I suppose for me, one of the biggest doubts has been, am I really on the right path? Mm. Do I actually really know what my life's mission is? Yeah. Um, and trusting that aspect mm. of it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put your trust. Because you can also have a lot of people telling you that you're wrong. Oh, all the time. <laughs> and that's, that's the some of the obstacles and challenges exactly. you're supposed to deal with. But I think when you, when you meet um, the world's greatest spiritual teachers, you look at the, and I'm not, talk, not talking about religions necessarily, but when you meet advanced spiritual entities or teachers, they all have the same philosophy which is if you put your trust in the universe or the spirit world, they will take you to where you are meant to be. Um, but we all use our ego and interfere with that and, and rationalize it and analyze it. And, and, and worry and, and doubt. And worry and doubt and listen to friends and listen to other people. But if you do find that, if anyone finds that courage to say, no, no, I'm just going to let it flow. The universe will take me where it wants to be because it knows where I need to be to mature and progress. And if I just let worry and stress and doubt go, just flush it out, stop listening to the ego and just say, okay, universe, take me where you need me to be. And then that's all you need to do. That's the end of it. And, and then where you end up is where you should be. 
um, but and it's hard sounds, to do. I know. I was going to say <laughs> it sounds very easy. So if somebody's doing that, mm. what what can you what what information can you give them? What help can you give them along that path? It, it's um, everyone is on their own path. Okay. So uh, and there's another golden rule, which is that everyone is exactly where they are meant to be <laughs> at every point in time. And also because time is just a human construct. It is. So, you know, we think, oh, I'm this age and I haven't done this and, you know, I, I don't have time to change or time to do that. It's, it's actually not true. No, it's a spiritual rule that is really hard to get our heads around. That um, because we're frustrated and we think, I don't know my path, I don't know if I'm on the right, right job, I don't know if I'm, if I'm on the right journey, I don't know what my purpose is. That may be true, but equally, in spiritual terms, everyone is where they should be at every point in time. So I'm supposed to be here now, today, with you, and you're supposed to be here today, now with me. That's the way the universe has led us to this point. So we can wish, we can say, oh, I wish I was a you know, super advanced spiritual teacher, or I wish I was a a virtuoso violinist or whatever but we're actually we have to get comfortable with the fact that we're where we're meant to be and that takes all the stress out of life when it's you lovely. accept that yeah and it's about enjoying the journey yeah because you know i mean i, I know that when i was in Botswana, i had a goal when i started my coaching business i wanted to start coaching executives and i was lucky enough to mm. break into that industry and then one of the biggest companies or most sort of prominent companies in Botswana are, is De Beers mm. because Botswana's wealth is based on diamonds. I was mm. like, okay, right. So the pinnacle is I've got to, I want to be coaching in De Beers. Um, and it happened in a matter of months just yeah. through coincidences and whatever else. Yes. And I remember after I got the contract sitting there going, oh, okay, well, now what? Now what? <laughs> I wasn't even excited anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's when I realized that the, the excitement and the joy is really in the journey. The achievement yes. of the, the, the thing, the goal that you have, is so short-lived, you can't, you can't base your happiness on that. It's no. got to come through the process of getting there. It, it, yeah, because, because this little annoying um, chattering monkey in our head, the ego, is saying, oh, you're not rich enough yet, you're not earning enough. You don't know you enough, who do you, you think know. you are? Exactly. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. No, no, you should be doing this, you know, you should be listening to that person, or you should be moving there and living there and doing that and you have to sort of say shut up <laughs> go away absolutely and i think as well so train yourself and what you're saying as well is there's just a word of caution um it's about really knowing you mm. because you are the only authority in your life yes um because when i did my coach training i remember i got so excited when i sort of thought about doing conscious leadership mm. and you know teaching people about consciousness in leadership and all that kind of stuff and I spent years building up my career and I sort of, you know, as I've said, I ended up coaching people in De Beers and various other important companies. Um, and then I worked with this gentleman in India who was phenomenal. And um, we do these sessions and it was remote and I could feel all the energy shifting and changing in my body and things clicking into place. And I worked with him for a quite a period of time. And then one day I was talking about conscious leadership and he said, are you sure you're meant to be doing conscious leadership? And suddenly I doubted everything that I'd ever done. Mm. And it actually derailed me for mm. years. Yeah, because I remember do. thinking, because mm. I admired him because he was such a spiritual guru. 
Um, and I thought he knew more about my life than I knew. Um, and it's taken me a number of years to kind of go around in a big loop and assess and look and learn that actually you need to listen to yourself. And it's about what excites you, you know, what lights you up, what makes you, what do you read about, what do you want to learn about, what do you mm. want to share? Um, it doesn't matter who the person is. No. It's about what's right for you inside of you. Yeah. There's only one person who knows better than you, and that's your guardian angel, who's been with you through every life, steering you and guiding you and protecting you in many ways um, and, and helping you that they kind of um, unconditional love is what it is. It's you are the reason for their existence. And if you weren't here, they wouldn't be here to teach you. But you're right. You know, you know best. It's not another spiritual guru that can give you any guidance. They might give you a few hints and tips, but it's your guardian angel who's there watching over. If you can make that contact, then then they will help you um, by enhancing your intuition and uh, enhancing your subconscious and leading you to where you, sh you should be. Thank it's you. putting trust in that. So I want to go back to your journey, mm. this sort of, you know, wonderful yeah, journey that you've been on. And I remember when I read the manuscript, um, Estrella, Estrella, yeah. sorry, um, she said that you would be talking in front of world leaders. Yes. And I remember you thought, in, you know, when I read the manuscript, you said, you know, you thought that was a load of nonsense. Like, yes. how would you end up doing that? <laughs> yes. But that actually happened, didn't it? You ended up working at the Laszlo Institute. Um, yeah, once, once I'd... Um once I'd uh, recognised that she was telling me the truth and really, really helping me on the journey um, and, and waking me up from uh, being a sleeper, then it changed everything in life. It changed every little detail in every way. And um, I started to get more and more interested in world problems. I'd always had an interest in things like climate change and pollution and deforestation. But... Um, felt I what could I do about those kind of things you know who was I I was just a management consultant um, but I knew I couldn't carry on in corporate so I had I had to so leave. Why was that? Why uh, couldn't you carry on in corporate? Because I'd had an intuition for many years that doing what I was doing was being part of what you might call the problem rather than the solution. Okay because I was helping big, rich companies to become more successful and richer by solving their problems for them. And some of these companies' practices were not always totally morally or ethically correct. I mean, for example, they might be a good company doing good things, but they might be cutting down a rainforest to build the products, or they might be polluting the world in another way. I want to be working towards solving these problems the world is suffering, it was almost like Earth was the client. Um, and I started reading lots of books about world issues and world problems. That led me to um, Sir Prof uh, Professor Irvin Laszlo, who was uh, founder of the Club of Rome and had been seeing these world issues looming since the early 1940s. Um, and had been writing books way, way ahead of his time, warning, warning us which direction the planet was going in and saying that we needed to change the way we think as a species to being more conscious, unity conscious aware. 
that this was key to solving world problems. And his books resonated with me totally. And I thought, this guy's got his finger on the pulse. Um, so when he came over to do a talk in the UK, because he lives in Italy, um, I went along and uh, listened to his talk and um, met, met Professor Laszlo. And we just hit it off. Um, it's a long story, but the short version is within a few weeks, I'd been over to Italy to stay with him and uh, he had this idea of setting up a conference centre conference center in Northern Italy and needed someone to run it. So he basically offered me the job as managing director of the Laszlo Institute. Um, he asked me to set up the institute from scratch. He'd already found a premises. And within a few months, we had scheduled a number of conferences on the big topics, world issues, and how to solve them, but with from a conscious point of view. And it was a wonderful experience in every way. I loved the job, every element of it. But the best thing was at home in my library, I've got all these books by writers that I admired. And because of Irving's reputation and his contacts, he was inviting these people um, over to the Laszlo Institute for me to host conferences. And then all of a sudden, I'm out for dinner with all these people. I've been reading their books for years, asking them questions, building a relationship and a great rapport. People I'm still in touch with them. <laughs> and I love, um, I mean, we speak sort of from time to time. And I love how when you start something, it's almost like the, the world shows up in such a strong manner yeah i mean you've recently taken on the uk um the global sustainable development fund is that right but for the uk yeah it's the um, world sustainable development forum wsdf and yeah you're right once you're on the right path doors just fling themselves open because i think <laughs> i met you just before you made the transition yeah um and then we've chatted and stuff since then mm. and what i found phenomenal was you when you started the position you knew the people that you wanted to connect with yes. to make the changes and everything else mm. and then you got invited to prince charles's birthday and all the people that you wanted to meet were going to be there yes. at this party Wasn't yeah that right? that's right um yeah Doors just opened in every direction. And I would I would only have to think about, oh gosh, I want to explore that world problem. Who's the expert? And then maybe two weeks later, I'd be introduced to them somewhere. Um, and I couldn't believe it. It was synchronicity upon synchronicity. So all of a sudden I'm meeting all the people I need to meet. And what's happened, I mean, in my life, what I, I, I'm so grateful for is that, um, the, 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 there's so many synchronicities every day that that's now become my normality. So in the in the past, one or two synchronicities were an odd. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's worked out. Now they're so frequent that that's become normal life, and you almost become so used to it. It, 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 it it's a new normality that you just live with. But I feel very privileged in that, in that respect. Yeah, I think it's phenomenal. Ways. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm not at that level, but I, it's almost like there's a part of me that knows that's how we're meant to live. Yeah. That that is how life is meant to be. Mm. So if somebody's listening to that and wants to start trying to live in that flow, in that space, mm. what would be the key things, just very sort of in a synopsis kind of thing, that they'd need to start doing to... Stop listening to the ego is number one. So don't thinking that is the authority, because... If you can imagine that um, 
this, this is a little exercise which helps that if you can imagine the ego as a little thing maybe the size of a, a pea or a walnut that sits just behind your eyes so it's looking out at the world and it's giving you a running commentary on what it's seeing and what you should do and where you should go pull yourself back mentally from that person and 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 put yourself at the back of the head okay so you the real you the soul you the entity that is you the immortal soul you are now at the back of the head and you're looking forward and in front of you you can see this thing called the ego that's looking out of your eyes and what the exercise is is to recognize that as a reality and that you now become the observer of your ego which is the chattering monkey that's looking out of your eyes and commenting and giving you a commentary on, on what's what it sees and what you should do and where you should go and what you should listen to and who you should listen to but you you move yourself to be the observer of your own ego Can and I that's just, very important um so when you're doing that I'm just sort of wanting to give a little bit more description so mm. people can notice the difference when they're starting doing this. Yeah. Um, for me, the ego is generally around things when there's doubt, fear. It's a lot of negative kind of emotions, but not always. Not always negative. No. no. Um, so how would somebody know when they're looking at it through their soul or when they're looking at it through their ego? How would the view be different? And it might say, oh, don't forget you need to go shopping and buy this. Or it might say, oh, I've got someone's birthday next week and you need to write a card. Those are three different thoughts. So what you have to do is each time the observer listens and hears that phrase, which is a thought, you mentally have to wrap that thought in a little balloon and imagine the thought bursting out of the head and floating up to the sky the next thought that comes along is what you want to eat for dinner tonight you don't try and stop the thought because that's not possible you just say oh that's a thought i'll wrap that let it go and then um oh you gotta buy a birthday card that's a third thought wrap it up let it go and the more you do this in a kind of meditative way the more you learn to not concentrate on what the ego is saying but you just say oh it's just another thought i'll let that go i'll let that one go i'll let that one go and the more you do it the ego gets frustrated and think they're not listening to me but you are letting your soul and your observer the true you slowly over time take control so that you can just release these as irritating little thoughts um, and, and you can also park them. That's another very interesting exercise, uh, something I've been doing for 20 or 30 years. What you do is sometimes you can take a little notebook and a pen and you can mentally say, okay, you go, your turn. What's bothering you today? And you write down each thought. You say, buy a birthday card, buy fish and chips tonight, make a phone call, do this. Um, whatever it is and you just say come on come on keep them coming keep them coming and you write a list of all the things you've got to do and then you say thank you that's enough switch off switch off and then you if another thought comes in but yeah I, I want to tell you something else no nope. lose it but i wanted to say shut up go away 
And you can do this. It's a mental exercise, but it works. I mean, uh, there's been some good books by Deepak Chopra who, who can describe this aspect quite well. And the way he describes it, which I think is quite good, he said, if you can imagine um, that um, you, you've got um, thought, you've got in front of your eyes, you can see a hundred buses and they're in one long line and they're going past you in front of your eyes. Um, but they are so close that you can't get between any of the buses. They're, they're, they're nose to bumper. And he said, each one is a thought and the ego's in control of the thoughts. So that what the ego wants is it wants you to recognize each bus going past, oh, it's a thought, it's a thought, it's a thought, it's a thought. The last thing the ego wants is for you to be squeezed between the buses because the real you and the essence of who we are in our soul, Deepak Chopra describes, you can only get there if you can squeeze through the gap between the buses. <laughs> and it's quite a good so that's analogy. the solution to every single spiritual problem. You've got to squeeze through the space between the buses. Yeah, yeah. You could be aeroplanes or it could be oranges. But the idea is, is the ego gives you a constant stream of thoughts because accessing your spiritual core is accessed through the gap between the thoughts. Yeah? Yeah, no, totally. So the, the goal is the more you can shut the ego up and the more you can release the thoughts or get through the buses or whatever analogy you choose is the real you is accessed in the gap between the thoughts. And this is why those who've meditated for many, many, many years, they, they can acquire this skill. They can do that. They can, when you go into meditation, the first step is to relax. The second step is to let the thoughts go, like bubbles floating out of your head. And then the next step, the third step, is to go into the gap between the thoughts where you can access deep truth, deep pur purpose. It's not easy. No, I, I know. Many years. I've been there, I've been in that space many times, but it, it, you know, I sometimes fall out of it and then it takes a while to get back into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I know exactly. And when you when you experience it, you want to go back again and yes. again and again because it's phenomenal. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask a few questions about conscious leadership since yeah. <laughs> that's what we're meant to be talking about. We seem to have got completely sidetracked. So what do you see as some of the biggest challenges um, for leaders in the world today? Um, they've got huge, huge problems. When, when, you, when you get promoted, let's say leaders have gone through the ranks. They, they've got massive, massive earthbound experience. They may have no spiritual experience or knowledge, but when they get to that level of authority, they are responsible, not just for their own actions, but they're responsible to their stakeholders, to their shareholders, to their staff who want a job, to the company, to government. Um, there's a lot of pressure. And the way our economic and political systems have been designed over three or 400 years um, are such that leaders are actually trapped. They, they may be spiritual, they may have other very ethical and moral feelings, but if they dare to express those feelings, they'll probably be out of their job and they'll be, they'll be replaced. Um, so what do you think are the first steps that they need to start taking if they want to live a more or walk a more conscious path? Well, there's a number. There's a number. 
um, I was I was quite fortunate a few months ago through my work with the um, World Sustainable Development Forum to um, briefly meet Sir David Attenborough and listen to one of his talks. And one of the people, after he was talking about the state of the planet, one of the, he asked for questions, and one person in the audience put their hand up and said, Sir David, um, is there one single thing that would turn this world around to solve these problems faster than anything else? And his answer was, yes, our leaders need to take a long-term view on every decision they make, not a short-term view. Now, what he was saying there is, if you are appointed into a chief executive or board director role, then some of your decisions will be to do with the four-year cycle of elections, where, where, you know, where, where your politics is, Labour or Conservative or whatever. The main goal you've got is uh, profit, to generate profit so that your shareholders and investors are happy. And that is a sh very, very short-term short horizon. So what Sir David was basically saying is, if you look in a boardroom and you've got an agenda and there is something where a decision needs to be made, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna do this or are we gonna do this or this? What he's saying is, if you took a 25 or 50 year view and said, what are the long-term implications of this decision how does it affect 25 years forward you'll get a different answer from if you're saying how is this going to affect a year forward or two years forward or six months forward because if you take that short-term view um, and you might be even thinking oh, i'll be retired in two years or whatever um your 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 solutions are different i kind of see it as um the short term is about survival so your short-term goals is about how do we survive, make a profit, and yeah. survive to the next step. Yes. Whereas your long-term goals are about creating a future. Yes. So it changes the whole perspective of decision-making. Yeah, because if, if you took a 25-year view on a decision, and it might be about making products, and you might say, well, how does that affect how many trees we're going to cut down or how much plastic we, we manufacture? And the waste and the pollution yeah. and everything else that goes yeah. into it. And there's, there's a very, very interesting um, point related to this, that the way we think in corporate modern world is very, very different from the way indigenous cultures think. If we go to indigenous tribes um, and tribal leaders, Let's take the, um, the Red Indians, the Hopi Indians, a uh, uh, good example because they're very mature, in, in, in Red Indian America 200 years ago. When the tribe had to make a decision on an important topic, the tribal elders would gather around a campfire in a circle and they would discuss whatever issue needed to be discussed in order to make a decision for the benefit of the tribe. But they had some golden rules, which they always adopted. And their prime golden rule was they always said, how does our decision affect seven generations forward? Wow. And if it did not benefit seven generations forward, then automatically that decision is discounted. If it was going to harm, no, we can't even discuss that. 
because that that that's damaging seven generations forward if the decision said oh yeah that benefits seven generations forward what's the vote put your hand up we do it and i was just thinking what if every boardroom in every decision applied that well, indigenous rule and principle wouldn't that change the world overnight i think it would i think it'd be fabulous yeah um i don't know why but um talking about that reminds me of something i learned about the san um the bushman in botswana um and that's that every child has the power to um decide their own future so if a child becomes seriously ill even life-threateningly ill no one would ever force that child to do anything so it wouldn't be the parents right to take them to hospital if that child didn't want to go to hospital right. it's that child's choice yeah. and they believe that right from as soon as a child can make a decision mm. um and i just think that's such a fabulous empowering way to allow people to be because well, we take people's power away from the word go we say you're too exactly. young you, you can't possibly know what you want in this life mm. you know you can't possibly know what's going on no wonder we get to our stage in life and don't know what our life's purpose is because yeah. we've been told from a child that we have no idea yes now that's that's again that's a very good analogy of an example of what is meant to be will be and we we can't hope to understand the way the spiritual realms work we, we have to accept that their rules are different from ours so sometimes we, we ask questions like we will say why did that innocent child have to die from horrible disease and why is is a mass murderer still alive and running around the streets um, and from a human logical point of view that doesn't make sense it's not fair we use this word fair and right and wrong but in the spiritual realms there are reasons for these things happening because those two souls are on their own journey and they have to learn certain things and they're in a certain they might be in if they've got a thousand lives they might be in life three or they might be in life two thousand and five hundred and also the interconnectedness we don't yeah, understand the interconnectedness understand in fact actually when we spoke about dr brown vice and mm. many lives many masters in his book he talks about a son he lost very very young mm. um but only when he started doing these past life regressions yeah. did he realize that his son was a gift yes that his son came along to shift his perspective and change his life yeah. because i think and i it was a very long time ago that i read this book so i might be getting it wrong but i think he was originally going to be a medical doctor mm. and after his son died he changed profession and shifted as to become a psychologist yeah um and looking back on it he saw the beauty in it um, but at the time, he, you know, as we say, you know, why does my son have to die so young? What's, you know, that's not fair. That's what's the purpose to this? Yeah, but there is a uh, purpose. There's there something is that purpose. we can't always see going on behind it. And if we apply human logic, we won't get there. But going back to your question about leadership, um, yeah, I think the uh, the fact that leaders are constrained by the politics and economics of the culture, they're not allowed to do that seven generations forward. The other thing is. Um, to do with the illusion of separation, um, which is the book I, I gave you earlier. Do you want to just say what the name of the book is? So that it's, it's actually called the, the Giles Hutchins book on the illusion of separation. Okay. So it's Giles Hutchins, the illusion of separation, just in case you want to go and look it up yeah, for yourself. Very, very good book. Um, and it's about leadership and, and, and it describes this issue. The illusion of separation is that, and here we have to bring in a bit of quantum physics, 
that just as you do as you do yes. <laughs> um, we're brought up all of us to think in a very uh, westernized scientific mode of thinking which is that all things are separate so i'm here you're there um the trees the trees are over there the animals are over there the plants are over there the, seat, a the house there. the cup well, yeah, whatever everything um and we see here am i and there are all those things when the quantum uh, realms were discovered by scientists from the 1940s and 50s onwards when you go deeper and deeper into the nature of reality there is no solid matter so well, it's all just energy isn't it? all there is a fluctuation of energy it's like a little zigzag on a screen yeah a little fluctuation of energy and if you were a, if you were able hypothetically to photograph a scene whether it's an outdoor or an indoor scene everything is energy that is vibrating at different frequencies but interconnecting so you're not separate from a rock or a tree or a plant at the quantum level but because we can't see at the quantum level uh, we think of that thing's over there and this thing's over here and going back to the leadership thing is when a company sees it needs wood to manufacture things and it sees a rainforest it is a resource ah there's the resources we need to make our products right we'll cut those down because they're things they're not connected to me they're just things oh if we want to dig up these minerals we'll, we'll, we'll get a mine and we'll take the minerals well, if we want those people to help us yeah. and they work for a lot less than somebody else let's just use them exactly uh, this illusion of separation means that we can consciously not care about other things because they're just resources that we can pluck at will because humans are the masters of the planet and everything else is resources we can take water air we can pollute the air doesn't matter we can put plastic in the oceans doesn't matter because i'm here and i'm okay and that's all separate when you won't start happen to me in my lifetime yeah that's the other thing um when you start realizing oh i'm actually intimately connected with all these things that i'm exploiting oh gosh i didn't think of it like that so there's that aspect as well of not just thinking about longer term but it's recognizing the illusion of separation there's and another aspect yeah as well. just going to that let's mm. just talk about this illusion of separation there's something that i've been very aware of in the work that i've done in leadership and that's that as a leader there's huge responsible responsibility you know you might think that you come to work and you're helping to lead a company and make it more successful and everything but the energy of who you're being in that position filters throughout the entire organization right down to the cleaning person yes you know it's it's unbelievable how one person can hold that whole entire organization yeah. um and i think that's such a responsibility for somebody who's leading is yes. to learn how to you know about your being or how to be human mm. which sounds bizarre because it's so incredibly important for everyone else that comes into contact and works with you totally important and the 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 problem and we're talking very much here in hierarchical hierarchical yes um yeah. you know in in another mm. podcast we'll talk about different structures but today we're talking more about hierarchical yeah and the solution to the illusion of separation is what we call unity consciousness yeah. because when you, once you acquire genuine unity consciousness you start looking at the world 
and resources and the company you're working for in that context. Um, and it may be that if you acquire that wisdom, and it's not knowledge, you know, a CEO of an organization have huge knowledge with zero wisdom. So if they have the, the, the spiritual wisdom, very often they couldn't cope with doing that job any longer anyway. Like you did and you decided to change. Uh, yeah, totally. There's another aspect which opens up a whole new can of worms, but is relevant. So I'll just touch on it very briefly. <laughs> Open the can. Open the can. That is that I mentioned earlier that we are all individual, unique souls on our own soul journey and our own soul path. And we're all where we're meant to be. So, but there are different types of souls on the path. And depending on the progress they have made. So there are broadly, and I'm speaking very generally, there are broadly seven levels of soul maturity. And we all have to go through all seven. So when we start out, when we're, when we're kind of born as a soul in, 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 in originally, we all come in as level one souls and we incarnate and incarnate. We may go through 10,000 lifetimes, but one thing's for sure, we won't go back to heaven or Nirvana or Samaday or, or, or back to source, whatever you call it. We won't leave that cycle until we've reached level seven of our soul maturity. It's impossible for a level one soul to get off that treadmill. Um, and so there are seven levels of soul maturity and you can go through a hundred lives as level one and a hundred lives as level two. Sometimes you can go and These are not exact figures, by the way. No, they're not exact. <laughs> in the slightest, in the slightest. We're all different. But there are some people who will go through three levels in one lifetime. It just depends on so many factors. But every soul level of maturity operates within different parameters. And not till you've solved all the obstacles and challenges of a level one soul can you kind of move on to become a level two. And you can't then move on until you're ready to be a three and so on. You can't force it. it, it it's just the way the spirit world works. Um, but it's not to do with intelligence. So you could have a, a very, very capable, super intelligent CEO or board director who's at level one. Yes, I totally understand that. And there's nothing you can do to get them to level two. It won't happen until they're ready. If, you can't make somebody grow. No. They have to want to grow. So, yeah, exactly. So as, as a consultant in leadership, thinking about the illusion of separation and thinking about the long-term view and about what changes they need to make in themselves to actually become more conscious and a more effective leader who's using sort of a, a, their, their, their consciousness to, to, to do good things, um, you need to take into account that if this person is a, in their soul maturity terms, if they are a level four and a half, five, six, seven, you are more likely to get your message through about these things than if they're a level one, two, three. Because there's nothing you can do to change a level one soul's mindset because their parameters and their belief systems are so far away from yours, you will never persuade them to listen to you or to take notice. 
I always think I was, um, I think I was quite arrogant when I started doing my coaching journey. I thought I was going to go out there and make everybody see the world differently and change everything. Mm. Um, and as I kind of went along, I realized that that's not my purpose to change people. Mm. You can't force change on somebody. No. Um, and I just went back to what Gandhi said, which was be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. It's not about making other people wrong for who they're being. It's about being the change. Yeah. And only in being the change do other people then notice and say, oh, wow, how did they do that? How, what, what, you know, what did they do to cause that? And like mm. you with your beautiful synchronicities, I mean, I'm ev ever so curious. I do get them in my life and I have moments when it all sub suddenly works. But it's, you know, how do I make that happen more? And that's not because you came to me and said, you know, Brett, you should have more synchronicities in your life. <laughs> I can't <laughs> was, do that. Yeah. No, it was just because you were being you and sharing you that made mm. me curious about it. Um, yeah. And that's what I think real teaching comes from. It's not about saying you must, you should. It's yeah. about being it. And then people coming to you with curiosity. But if, if you're able to get into a position where you are helping leaders to become more effective conscious leaders, then yeah you be the change but you're also being given the privilege of sowing seeds that you can plant seeds of thoughts in those leaders heads which they might you might leave the room you might never see them again but those seeds that you've just planted in their mind will grow and flourish and maybe take them where they need to be because you have that influence and you never know who's listening no. i was actually recently spoken to by a gentleman who I hadn't seen for two years and I didn't even really remember him because I didn't really meet him. I was giving a workshop and I was talking about funnily enough thoughts in our head of how we needed to sort of let the thoughts go to create space and whatever else um, and he shared with me that apparently when he'd listened to my workshop he thought what I was talking about was such a load of nonsense and was really resistant mm. to what I'd said um, but two years later he came to me and he said I really get what you're saying now. <laughs> Sure. So you, you never, never know. know what no. seed, and you don't even know that when the person you're talking to, they might not like what you're saying, they might no. resist it, they might go away and, you know, suddenly start them on a whole different way of looking at life or searching for answers that yeah. uh, you couldn't possibly have realised would have happened. Well, absolutely. And when, when you are trying to change a leader's mindset to be more, um, think of the world in a different way you are also battling, not with them, you're battling against the whole economic and political and cultural system that we've developed in the country. So he might he might actually agree or with she. what you're saying, or she, <laughs> glad you said that, let's keep it fair. Um, they, might, they might agree totally with what you're saying, but feel that they can't implement these great ideas because of the constraints they're under. But there's always that. small changes that they can make. Yeah, I always think if you can't make those can big do. changes, you can mm. make the changes within who you're being. Yeah. And then you never know what will shift and change around you. Yeah, you, so, you're a catalyst. Basically, you're, you're going in as a catalyst to suggest changes that you know, they should think about making. And something I think very key that you said there, and I've experienced in my work career as well, is that um, it's it's so rewarding to work with people that really want to change yeah it's like a sponge it's like somebody just absorbing it and, and you know putting those transformations into place 
But if you have somebody that you've been asked to work with and they don't want to work with you, it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot make that person change. Yeah. Um, it really comes from somebody wanting to make those changes. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to recap. Through, so the things that you've sort mm -hmm. of spoken about, especially in this sort of second part of the podcast, about the sort of things that leaders can be doing. So the first thing, as you said, is to look at the bigger picture. So to look a number long of years term, ahead, yes. long term, at the implications of decisions that people are making. Um, what was it that you mentioned then? Um, looking at um, the, the way they, unity consciousness is, is, the, right. is the other one against the illusion of separation. Yeah, you're not, um, you're, the decisions that you're making, the things that you're choosing to do, um, don't just impact yourself. Mm. They're not just a quick decision to create a solution. They have repercussions. Everything is joined and connected. Um, and you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. It, it's, it's um, if, if a leader knows instinctively what their role is in an organisation and they're put in that position to grow that organisation, but the whole economic political system is based on the greed which comes from from the ego and and the profit for the for the shareholders and it may be that if that doesn't resonate with the leader that they have to step down from that position and just accept it um, find a position where they can make more change yeah a, a leader is not going to change unless they tackle their own ego issues it's fundamental so something that um, just going back to that mm. um, unity consciousness um, if you want to play with something, um, it was something that I realized years and years ago when I started on this journey. I suddenly became very aware that the more people, as I was driving around, I was actually living overseas, um, and it wasn't a particular, in England, you most likely can't do this very often because everyone's so polite and everyone sort of smiles and lets you in and is really sweet. But I was living in Africa and nobody lets you in. <laughs> it's like every man for himself on the roads over there. And, you know, as I sort of came into this sort of you know, wanting to be more conscious, wanting to be more nice to people and whatever else at a very basic, simple level. I decided as I drove around that I'd let people in and smile mm. at them. Um, and as I did it, I sort of went along and it was bizarre because I got let in more. Um, and it certainly couldn't have been that that driver remembered me because no. I doubt very much that I would have met the same person. Said, that's good, that's good. But it was, it shifted and changed. Yeah. And I remember in my excitement, because I do tend to get very excited when I realise something new, I shared it with somebody who wasn't into any of this stuff. And um, she said to me, um, well, she didn't really say anything. She just listened to what I had to say and off she went. And then she came back to me the next time I met her and she said, you know what, it works. <laughs> so if you want to try the whole unity thing, Try and do something like that. Try yes. and go off and explore being kind and see if it shifts and changes. You've got to do it for a few weeks, though. You can't just do it for a day. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a great. That's great. Another one uh, to do with leaders is um, they will have a mental model of what leadership means, even when they're going through the ranks, even before they, they know they're going to be promoted. They will have a, a mental image. Leadership means this. And, and when you go into bookshops and you look on the shelf, if you go to the leadership section, um, you will not generally get in these books how leadership works in tribal indigenous tribes and, and how they elect their leaders and how, and how their leaders operate. And that's a shame because I think if, if corporate leaders understood other aspects, culture, culture way of leading and, and where they come from, um, they would have a different perspective on the way they're doing because all they're doing is 
they are looking at their heroes who are leaders of other big organizations that have made them successful. But in a finite planet with limited resources and all the world issues we've got with pollution, deforestation, climate change, you can't apply those old models anymore. You have to change. Yeah, the shift, there's, a, there's a shift from being a fast growth successful organization to being a sustainable organization because the fast growth ones have burn no out. future. They burn out. They burn out, yeah. literally. Whereas and us as a species will do the same if you look at it, yeah. I mean, you know, time span of millennia, you know, dinosaurs and everything else. I mean, we've been here for a blip, mm. um, and we are that sort of exploding population, you know, gobbling all the resources up. Yeah. If we don't learn how to be sustainable, we'll also, yeah, the, the leaders of tomorrow are going to have to take um, sustainability as one of their main prime goals. goals. Mm. Um, going back to different cultures um, and learning from different people, I lived in Botswana for many years and one of the things that I really loved is in the villages they have something called a kotla and um, even though each sort of tribe or village or whatever has a chief, that chief does not make unanimous decisions. If there's um, an issue within the village or if, even if one person has an issue within their marriage, they don't make the choices and decisions on their own. Mm. Everybody comes to the kotla and it's discussed. Mm. And it's discussed sometimes for days and days and days, which definitely wouldn't work in corporate culture. No. But it's just that idea that it's, it's, it's something that involves all of us. Mm. It's not an individual problem, it's a collective problem. Yes. Um, and it's finding the way through it that works for everybody, not just one individual, mm. um, which I think is quite unique. Yes. In that we don't, in Western culture, tend to do things like that or think things through like that. We can learn a huge amount from other cultures, uh, other civilizations, um, indigenous tribes, tribal elders. There is so much alternative. We just tend to look at the very Western short-term greed and profit. If you're, if you're a leader that's good at doing that. But I think that the biggest threat is, is the, it goes, back, it goes back to the whole soul maturity thing of ego that um, a lot of leaders aspire to be leaders to satisfy the needs of their ego. They want to be seen to be successful. They want a bigger car, they want a bigger house, they want more salary. They fight to get to the top job um, and they get their ego satisfied. So they like having the ego in charge. The thought of having uh, a deep seated spiritual soul trying to else the ego is is unacceptable for them but how do we make a change i mean i'm just looking at our global sort of leaders and especially of the western society um they fit a lot of them fit that sort of profile that yeah. is sort of ego driven totally so how do we as voters as you know people who aren't in that position how do we affect that kind of change well in in a, in a democracy this is this is the challenge because the leaders or the would-be leaders they know which buttons to press to get more votes because they are advised by panels and panels of advisors on okay if you want to win the election or if you want to win the presidency or prime ministership this is what the masses want so and i suppose it's them talking from their ego to other people's egos so exactly. it's an egoic message exactly. so i suppose to make the right choices we need to see when we're being spoken when our ego is being spoken to yes. or when our soul is being spoken to totally. start making choices based on that yeah. Th those who pe those people who are more spiritually orientated and uh, are in touch with their intuition 
um, and have a more long-term spiritual soul view, um, we'll see through the high-level messages that politicians put out there. And they'll always be looking in the long-term global perspective and thinking years ahead, what does this do for our children and our grandchildren? which is often not on the radar of, of leaders just wanting a quick win. Or of the public wanting mm. their needs met now and yeah. their challenges finished and sorted right now. That's what our politicians play to. They say, what's upsetting the population? Let's promise we can solve that, whether it's better NHS or more police on the streets. They'll promise <laughs> anything to... Um, just to get us to vote for to them. To get us to vote for them. Mm. But even then, um, even if they get in and they become leader, because of the political system of usually four years between elections, they have a four-year time horizon, not a 25-year time horizon. That's why we've had a whole string of uh, environment ministers whose responsibility is to improve the environment that we live in, cleaner air, cleaner water, yeah. um, look after the trees, look after the animals. And they've all been largely super ineffective because they've not been hardly able to change anything in their four years residency in, in the post because they know that four years later they'll be in a new job um, and it'll be someone else's problem. And the changes require much longer term vision. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Joe. Yeah. Um, I just want to sort of share with everybody that Joe's written a number of books. Are there any titles that you specifically want to share with everybody? We've spoken about The Feather in the Feather Stone. Feather in the Stone, which is, uh, the, yeah, a novel um, about the early part of my journey. Yeah, and we've also spoken about um, a book that's coming up, Path to Idra. Path to Indra, Indra. which is completed, yeah. Um, but we're waiting for publish, um, it to be published. Yes. And you've just downloaded yeah. another book haven't you that's right which do has, you know what it's going to be called i don't know the title yet but um i've had two downloads in my life the first one i mentioned was when i got the download of uh, the feather and the stone novel in its entirety and i thought that was it i thought that was the end of it but i had one um two and a half weeks ago which came totally out of the blue and it's to do with the soul's journey a question i get asked a lot by um, people who are interested in spirituality and they're aware that they're on a soul journey, they're aware that they're following a path and they're looking for their purpose. They often said to me, how do I know where I am on my soul journey? Am I at the beginning, am I at the middle or am I nearing the end? And I pondered this question, if people want to know where they are, I don't know. Anyway, about two and a half weeks ago, I had been thinking about this and I woke up one, more, one morning, as I had done all those years ago, with a complete download of the answer to that question. That what, what's been happening, and it's hard to describe to the average person, but basically all this information comes down like a computer download into, into the brain. I sit at my keyboard and then I almost go into a semi-trance and I write a paragraph, stop for a few moments and write the second paragraph. And then when I reread what I've written, I'm thinking, wow, I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I'm learning. I'm actually learning, learning from what I'm reading because it's almost like I'm not writing it. The writing's coming from within. I, I know you're, I know how that feels. Yeah. But, I sometimes but, go back to blogs I've written and go, wow, that's really interesting. And like, it's almost like I never, 
never wrote it in the first place. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's going to be something I haven't got a title yet because I, I, I should be finished this whole book in about two or three days because I've been writing well, it in a spare minute. So what I'll, what I'll do though yeah. is um, on the podcast, I'll share your Facebook details and all your other details where people mm. can get the information and we can share that shortly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that you can keep up to date and uh, yeah, be the first people to know as soon as anything's released. Yeah, I'm just following my own soul path and I can't wait to see where well, it leads me next. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know the path to Idra. I mean, I've read the manuscript yeah. of that and I know a number of people who have and we all found it, just you couldn't put it down. Yeah, thank so, you. So um, I definitely think that you should, yeah, if you're listening to this, you need to watch out. Yes. Put some pressure on Joe to make sure he gets it published quickly so we can all read it. Yeah, absolutely, I will. Thank you so much for being here, <laughs> Thank Joe. Thank you. I am Britannia, and you've been listening to the Inspiring Global Transformation. If you've enjoyed this, make sure you subscribe, and if you have a moment, we would love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. If you want more from me, I have blogs, videos, meditations, courses, social media links, and more on my website, www.britannia.com. That is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-A dot com. Thank you so much for listening and lots of love from me to you.